So this morning is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent, like Tracy talked about, is uh, an old word meaning coming or come, or presence. It's the time of year when we look forward to celebrating the fact that Jesus came, that he was born, that he took on flesh, that God became Emmanuel, God with us. And so for four weeks, we gather around these themes, this idea of, of or this remembering that Jesus has come, but also looking forward to the fact that he is coming again. They both uh, are present here at this moment. And at first we think about Advent, and uh, this week actually is the, the week of hope. The theme of this week is hope. Hope has been a cornerstone of Christian faith for centuries, for 2,000 years. Even Paul talked about it uh, to the church in Corinth. He says, uh, faith, hope, and love. So we talk about hope, and hope is important for us. And we look around the world, and, and you know, hope has been abused in our culture. Politicians and, and secular people have been using hope. They've found how important and how powerful it is to talk about hope. And they've emptied it of its meaning. Let us, the church, refill or remember what hope means for us. Hope in the reality that God became Emmanuel, which means God with us. That Jesus, being in very nature, as we talked about last week, Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be snatched at, but he made himself nothing. That God became human and dwelt among us. It talks about in uh, John's Gospel that he tabernacled with us, pitched his tent among his people again. Let us feel hope with that, that, that God has come, and that Jesus didn't just come and teach us some things and then fly back up to heaven, but he actually uh, suffered, died on a cross, three days in a tomb, and then rose again. Let us remember these things because they give us hope in who he is. But not only that, but that Jesus is Lord and King, that he reigns at God's right hand, but also he is coming again. And this is the part we look forward to. The day when Christ comes and he takes all the brokenness of this world and makes it right again. We look forward to his return. But that's the hard thing. That's the hard thing about Advent, at least the hard thing for me, is that it is remembering that we live in between the times. We live in between the comings. We live after the time of Jesus and the fact that he walked and that he died on a cross, and we live in light of his grace. We live in light of the reality that he is Lord and King. He has changed everything, and we celebrate, and it is right for us to celebrate that. But we also have this, it's also hard this time of year. A season of hope and a season of hardship. As we look at the world around us, right? Our hearts break as we see the brokenness in the world around us. We know what it will be one day. We know what it is supposed to be right now and our heart breaks because we see how different it is. How how far we have fallen short. I mean, I think about churches. I mean, just how sad it is, the number of churches that are closing across North America. You know, churches that were trying so hard to be relevant, to kind of to leave off anything about the gospel that offended the secular world, and more and more until finally they didn't really talk much about the gospel at all. And now many of those churches are closing. What about our culture? 
the way our culture continues to move further and further away from Jesus, further and further away from God's kingdom. You know, it's sad. I mean, I've been talking about it. I mean, last week I talked to some about it, about my discouragement. You know, it seems like no matter where you are, whether it's Canada or the U.S., you know, just political parties taking turns, driving the whole thing further and further away from God. What about economics? I mean, how broken our world is economy, or economically. I mean, think about, I mean, the clothes I'm wearing, who made these? Who made this sweater? Did the person who made this sweater, were they paid an honest day's wage, something that they could support their family? Was it even made by an adult? Was it made by a child who's forced to work because their parents can't afford anything else? What about the food that I ate this morning? Where does that come from? Was it grown by a farmer who is paid a decent wage for their farm or for their produce? Or is it someone who uh, was it picked by someone who lives out of a car because they, won't, they aren't paid enough otherwise? I mean, we're complicit in it. We, this whole system is broken, and we, even as followers of Jesus, we get sucked into it. What about God's creation? This amazing creation that God has created in the ways that we are part of uh, breaking it down. So Advent is a hopeful time, but it's also a hard time. As we look at the reality of things, and we, I don't know if about you, but this time of year I ask, you know, where is, what do we do? Where is our help? What is our hope? And so this year I was um, looking through texts about, about, that speak to the coming of Jesus. And, and this year we're going to be walking alongside Isaiah uh, in the words that he spoke about Christ's coming, about waiting for God to come down. And it's interesting because Isaiah lived over 700 years before Jesus. And yet the things that he saw, the words that God gave him to speak, spoke about his day. They spoke about the exile, which was hundreds of years later. They spoke about the return from exile. They even spoke about Jesus. And so Isaiah has these, this, um, God has given him amazing words that speak, and they even speak to us today still. But it's interesting to understand kind of what the, the passage we're going to be reading is coming from Isaiah 64. And it's actually a little bit longer than that, um, but... Uh, it was in a, during a time after Israel had returned from exile. He had the people who had gone away into exile into Babylon. They returned, and they joined those who had been left, and it wasn't easy. I mean, they'd been over a generation apart from each other. And so they came back. Uh, they tried to start building the temple again. Even that took longer than they expected. And as I was reading and reading some about the history of Israel at this time when Isaiah, when these prophecies were, or they, the time they address there were three groups, as far as scholars could tell. There was the group who was mostly secular, or they were sort of a, they were a little bit Jewish. They were a little bit other pagan religions who lived around them. They would intermarry with different nations. There was a group like that. There was also a religious group who basically kind of, to use the kind of modern terms, they went to church every Sunday. They did their thing, but they weren't so serious about it. And they said then there was a faithful remnant, those who prayed for the Lord God. Because even though they had returned from exile, they knew things were not quite right yet. They knew in many ways they actually hadn't returned from exile. And so Isaiah is speaking into this situation. So if you would, open your Bibles and 
Um, if you look on your yellow sheet here, it's Isaiah 64, 1 to 9. Would you guys be all right if I just, if I actually read a little bit more than that? I wanted to. It's all one section, but it wouldn't quite fit on the page. So um, let me read from Isaiah 63, if you have your Bible with you. Isaiah 63, 7 to 64, 9. So just listen to what he's saying. So Isaiah speaks, he says, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. And all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea with a shepherd, uh, with a shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make, yourself, to make for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see, from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might, your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our Father. Though Abraham does not know us, and Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from, from of old is your name. Why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that, you are, that are your inheritance. For a little while your people possessed your holy place, but now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. We are yours from of old, but you have not ruled over them. They have not called you by your name. Now this is the part where if you'd like, if you'd like to read it from the back of your bulletin, this is the part we'll be focusing on today. Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. And when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome, when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when you continue to sin against him, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are all shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O oh Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. So as I hear this, especially Isaiah 61, or sorry, 64, verse 1, he says, Isaiah pleads with the Lord, Lord, tear the heavens open and come down. Before that, a few verses, he said, you look down from your throne. And then here in 64.1, he says, Lord, just come. 
Please tear the heavens open and come down. Come and let the nations know who you are. All these nations who do things, who act like they are the ones who are in power, who act even like other gods are in power. Come down and let them realize who you are. How often do we pray that? I do. Lord, this world is broken. Things are so difficult. Our heart breaks for the things that are broken and going wrong. Lord Jesus, please come. Tear the heavens open and come down again. But it's interesting because Isaiah begins speaking about, he remembers the faithful things that God had done. He remembers, he's actually speaking of the Exodus. I don't know if you caught that part earlier. It says you, you have opened the seas and your, and your shepherd led us through them. He's speaking of the Exodus. And the people of Israel, when God parted the seas, the Red Sea, and the people walked through on dry land, how God was faithful. He provided manna and quail, water from rocks. He led his people. He was with them. God was with them, a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was with his people. And then led them through centuries until things got so bad that they were taken into exile into Babylon as judgment for their sinfulness of their ways that they continued to go away from God. But in his faithfulness, God brought them back again to their own place where they were able to rebuild the temple. Isaiah is speaking of these things. He's saying, I remember your faithfulness, God. I remember what you are like. And he's praying, Lord, come down. And it's interesting because the things that Isaiah was praying for, Lord, come down, come, dwell among us again, happened in Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Savior who came down. And I thought it was interesting for us because that's the event that we remember. Jesus is our moment. Sure, we read about Exodus and we read about exile, but for us, Jesus is that watershed moment, that moment that changed all of history for us, the the one who we identify with. So it's interesting that Isaiah was looking to his past, the, the past of his people, And Jesus was the answer to that prayer. And for us, we look back at Jesus now, and you can see the overlap. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, come again. Come again, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But interesting I hear in this is how we wait for his coming. Isaiah speaks about, Lord, you act on behalf. No one has ever seen a God like you. No one has ever heard of a God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait. Interesting. On behalf of those who wait. Who here likes to wait for stuff you really want? (laughs) Not me. Who here likes to just wait when things are really difficult and you feel like you should do something, anything? Who here likes to wait? And yet that's the word that Isaiah says. Lord, you work on behalf of those who wait. But it's interesting, I've been thinking about how the Hebrew people waited. The word is chakah, uh, which is um, to wait. But as I think about waiting in the Old Testament, waiting is different than what we often think of. We often think, I think of waiting, I think of like sitting in a doctor's office waiting, right? You're just wasting time waiting. But as I hear about waiting, as Isaiah speaks about it, I think about waiting in the Hebrew word idea is more about trusting. Trusting in the Lord God. 
Because oftentimes when we're waiting or when people are waiting, I know when I'm waiting for something, I think, oh, well, this would be a good idea. This would be pragmatic. This would be practical. I'll just do that instead. And I hear Isaiah saying, part of waiting is trusting in the Lord, not seeing like what would make sense in human terms and then just fixing it, but actually trusting and waiting. I also hear the sense of faithfulness too. Not just trusting in the Lord and waiting for him, but also faithfulness, living the way that God taught us. He talks about, Lord, we remember your ways. Remembering the ways of God is another, is like a Hebrew way of saying living faithfully. That they remember his ways and they live according to them. So waiting isn't just sitting around waiting for something to happen. It's trusting in the Lord God and it's faithfulness, continuing to live faithfully, to remember his ways. Now I want to be really careful here because it's sort of different. It's, it's you know, sometimes we think of, well, it's not this, but it's that, but it's actually something utterly, completely different. Because what I'm getting at is sometimes we don't like to wait and so we want to do something. We think about what makes sense to us as a person, what's reasonable or pragmatic, and we just jump into doing that. That's not what I'm saying. But at the same time, I'm not saying that waiting is just sitting around twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing. In the Hebrew sense of chakha, it means to, to wait, to trust in the Lord, to keep trusting in him, even when it maybe doesn't make sense, and to faithfully follow him, to remember his ways. I'm thinking about this. I was actually, one of the examples that, that I thought of this was, uh, that reminds me of this, is Tracy and the way that she waits on the Lord for our adoption. As we continue um, to pursue that. And I, an example of how, like a biblical understanding of waiting is Tracy. She continually waits on the Lord. She trusts in Him for provision. I mean, because just the expense of it alone let alone all the responsibilities, all the things we have to do. It feels overwhelming, and yet she waits. Not just sitting around, staring at the wall, hoping it will happen. But she trusts in the Lord for it. But she also lives righteously, and part of it too, I mean, just two weekends ago, she was working at a craft fair. And, and all the proceeds that we gain from that go into our uh, savings for adoption. Now, it's like a fraction of what we need, but it's faithfulness. It's, that's, the, I think, the biblical understanding of waiting. It's anticipating it. It's continuing to move forward, to move in God's direction, to remember his ways, but not to just do it on our own, but to rely on God's provision, even though we continue to work at it. Does that make sense? Hopefully I'm making that clear. I feel like I'm not quite getting there yet. Not that we just sit and give up and sit down and say, okay, God, do it all. But not that we go to the other stream and say, like, God, you're not doing it fast, so I'll just do it myself. We're in that middle place of trusting him. Faithfully doing what he's called us to do, but ultimately uh, relying on him to provide the lion's share of it. But he also talked about, and Isaiah speaks about this, he says, Lord, you help those who rejoice in righteousness and doing righteous things. And it's interesting because if you look, it's at verse uh, 4. Sorry, at verse 5. It says, You come to help those who gladly do right. 
And it's interesting because I read that in English, and I don't know about you, but in English, uh, it seems like those who gladly do the correct thing. That's, I don't know, that's just what I hear when I hear right. But in Hebrew, it's actually sedek. It's um, oshe sedek, which means those who are doing righteous things, which is, in my mind, slightly different than just doing the correct thing. It's doing the righteous thing. Saying those who rejoice in doing things that honor God, God helps those people too. Those who are, who are purposely remembering his ways and doing things that honor God. But then I also think about, so like in terms of how we wait, one is we wait um, like haka, which is this, this uh, faithful, this trusting waiting on the Lord. And also this uh, doing righteous things, glorifying God with the way that we live. But then there's this part where uh, we also wait with honesty. That as we wait for the Lord, we're honest about who we are. We're honest about our sinfulness. Isaiah was speaking, he says, you know, we, we know that you help those um, who wait on you. We know that you help those who do righteous things. But Lord, we just keep sinning. We are so wrapped up. Even when we try not to, even when we try morally, like our personal self not to sin, just the system that we are a part of is broken and sinful. I mean, I talked about already, about the clothes I wear, about the food I eat. Unless I grow it in my garden, I have no idea how just it is, the things that I eat. We live in this broken system. We're immersed in it. It's the air we breathe. So Isaiah is speaking, he says, you know, even our, even our best things, even our best attempts to do it right still end up breaking. One of the things that come to my mind is the last, what, 50 years of the West's involvement, like in the Middle East, you know, something goes wrong there and, you know, a whole group of Western powers go to make it right and it just seems like 10 years later it's worse than it was. And then 10 years later it's worse than that and then 10 years later it's worse than that. To me, that's an example of how we as people try to make things right without God. And even though we mean well to make things better, just make a bigger mess. And so we wait with honesty, acknowledging our sinfulness. And it's interesting because Isaiah, as he's waiting for, Lord, please come down, open the heavens and come down, He's realizing that their sinfulness is the big problem. Not just their personal sinfulness, but also their sin as a whole people. And so it's no surprise to me, or it's actually really encouraging me, encouraging to me, that the one whom God sends deals with that problem first. That even though Jesus is king and his kingdom has been started and we wait for his kingdom to come fully, he has dealt with our sinfulness. The sinfulness that held us back, that no matter how all of our righteousness, Isaiah talks about our righteousness, the righteous things we do, they're, so, they're, like, they're like, like, actually it's literally like bloody rags that were ritually unclean in the Hebrew world. Like if you were to touch them, you wouldn't be able to go to the temple. Like that's how unclean they were. He says, our righteousness is like this, Lord. And so it's right that we need a Savior. We need Jesus, the Messiah, the servant of the Lord who would come, who would deal with our sin because no matter how hard we tried 
seemed like the more we tried to fix it, the bigger the mess we made. And so it's no wonder that he sends Jesus. But then Isaiah ends with this. He ends with, Lord, please, we rely on you completely. You are our Father. This image of, comp- of utter dependence, and I, I don't know how many of you have ever made a clay pot or spun um, or turned a, a pot on a wheel, but the, the clay is just a lump. You actually like mold it up and just slam it onto the wheel, and then you, well, at least me, like I did it in college, and it just goes everywhere. <laughs> but, but you're the one, like it just bends to your will. And if you didn't do anything, it would just stay a lump on the wheel. I hear Isaiah saying, Lord, we are completely dependent on you. We know the kind of people you've helped, those who do righteousness, those who wait on you, and yet we keep sinning. God, we absolutely cannot do this on our own. We need you, Lord God. Tear open the heavens and please just come down. We are absolutely reliant on you. This is what I hear Isaiah saying. That as we wait, we remember that waiting is this trusting in God, it's this faithfulness in God, it's doing righteous things, remembering his ways, but ultimately it's being honest too and realizing that no matter how hard we try, we still mess it up. Even in our best intentions, we still, the more we do, sin keeps creeping in, that we are utterly dependent on God. That's ultimately where these words of Isaiah end up, is Lord God, our best efforts are filthy rags. We completely depend on you. That's how we wait. That's how we wait as we look back towards Jesus' first coming, the fact that he took on flesh and lived among us, died on a cross and rose again, and as we look forward to his second coming, when he will come uh, like the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven. We wait, relying on God. Amen. Amen.